This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Ozpol Snackpod, where the weekly podcast that brings you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. We're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you like memes, you like shit posts, uh, or you like the show, just uh, hop on Facebook and find us, answer the questions, or we won't let you in the group. Uh, and I also wanted to say thank you so much to two new patrons that we have this week, uh, by any other name, who... Maybe we could call him by any other name, but yeah. Uh, and Jack have both signed up on Patreon, so thank you both so much uh, for supporting the show. That's extremely lovely. I've just realized I haven't introduced myself or my co-host. I'm, I'm sitting here very patiently. <laughs> hey, I'm Noon, <laughs> and over there is my patient friend. Zach Snack. what's up, everybody? I hope you're doing well. We've got a jam-packed show for you this week. The memes are crispy. The news is hot and fresh. Uh but uh, noon. Before we jump into our entree, you, you wanted to shout out a very special day that happened this week. Yeah, that's right. It's Are You on K Day, um, <laughs> the National Mental Health uh, Day that uh, makes sure everyone's taking enough ketamine. Noon, uh, can I just say thank you for asking? And not at the moment. Yeah, I'm also not on K. It's not really my thing. No. Uh, so th- this is Are You Okay Day, uh, which is a it's meant, it meant to raise awareness of mental illness and suicide. And because it was, um, it's national or international even suicide awareness day. Uh, it was found. Well, Are You Okay is an organization that was founded in Australia and has kind of like expanded a bit. But it was it's held they've, like on taken over the day. day. Yeah, yeah. Which like I'm not sure it's any worse really than National Suicide Awareness Day or whatever. But like. Yeah. <laughs> I have personally never heard of anyone feeling supported by Are You Okay Day. Um, and I've heard of a lot of people feeling that it's extremely invasive, annoying, and tokenistic. Um, and two listeners of, of this show have actually complained to me that their bosses have, like, forced them to do presentations about it, even though they're, like, deeply cynical about it. Uh, and I just wanted to read uh, one especially spicy example of why to be cynical about Are You Okay Day. And this is an email that was sent out by La Trobe University to their staff. Uh, and I got this screenshot from at uh, Jew on this on Twitter. Um, and the, the email address, uh, sorry, the, the email from La Trobe uh, starts off with this like at a glance. And the two bullet points in at a glance are one, are you okay? Second, second round voluntary redundancy program, expression of interests now open. And like, this just like perfectly sums up the way that Are You Okay Day is this like uh, completely meaningless uh, performative cherry on top of a Sunday of like economic insecurity and like exploitation. And obviously no one's okay because we're all in the middle of a pandemic right now anyway, but like we're also having our labor stolen by our bosses who are trying to fire us and make us work long hours to destroy our minds and bodies for their profits. So, you know, no one's okay. No, we're all chowing down on the big shit Sunday of capitalism and the tiny little cherry of corporate performative mental health awareness is not super useful in any kind of material way. You know, maybe give me a glass of water or something. You know that I mean? might be slightly better. Oh, yeah, pizza party, you know? Yeah. Um, th- there's a meme that goes around every year, which is, uh, are you okay day? And Homer sitting at the couch yelling at the TV, I, I told, told you, you last year, year no. <laughs> it's very good, yeah. Uh, okay, but so I think mean. that's enough about are you okay, but I just wanted to read out one more tweet that like really sums up why it's not a good day. And this is from at Rowanna Silva on Twitter. Everyone says, reach out, get help, but what happens when the help you need is a steady income, or help with devastating medical bills, or job security, or rent that won't wipe out your savings, or being able to not live paycheck to paycheck, or a building that's accessible, or... Uh, That's where the tweet ends, but like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, are you okay, Dave? Not, not great. There's probably other things you could be, uh... There's there's other things our government could be doing to better support people with... Mm, like 
mental not health issues. Hurting welfare, just for example. As just, it? which is uh, funny you should say that because that's about to in happen jails. in two weeks. Amazing timing. Yep. Well, everyone's okay now, so, you know. Oh, well, yeah, in two, two weeks. We'll catch up. We'll catch up again next year. Let us know how the welfare cut that we're putting through in a fortnight has mentally affected you. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough of that. Let's move on to our entree, which is also pretty depressing about a a, a day that has been <laughs> hijacked by counterproductive forces. I don't know about hijacked, but created. So last week, Zach mentioned Freedom Day, um, which was the name that's been given to the anti-lockdown protests uh, last week. And apparently they were like um, international, but a lot of the photos of the international events were fake. Um, so there were a bunch of Australian people posting photos of like an Iron Maiden concert or something and being like, all of these Germans came out to support Melbourne's lockdown protests <laughs> or whatever. Very funny. But yeah, it's, a, it's an anti-lockdown slash corona conspiracy theory protest. Mm. There are about a thousand people went to the one in Melbourne. Um, 15 people were arrested and more than 150 fines given out. There were also rallies in Sydney and Byron Bay and I think smaller ones elsewhere. There are a couple of arrests in Sydney and some fines given. And there's been just atrocious media coverage of this whole thing. Um, like, there was almost no coverage in the ABC. There was almost none from the Fairfax papers. 90% of the articles that I found were either from the Herald Sun or the Mirror or the Australian. And, like, Obviously, they're extraordinarily biased. Um, and, like, there, there's reporting because there's more protests apparently going on today, uh, which, you know, I guess we'll tell you all about next week, dear listeners. Um, but the the coverage was all like, yeah, these hardened activists are fighting against Daniel Andrews' jackbooted thugs because they want their children to be able to learn things at school. Um, but The Age had a... Uh, like, I mean, I don't really have higher hopes for the Herald Sun or the Mirror than that. But The Age had a, a photojournalism series, which was pretty excellent in some levels, but also very sympathetic to the protest, which I guess is kind of, like, tricky with photojournalism. Uh, but there was this one excellent photo of this old guy with, like, one of those, like, plastic face shields on. And on it, he's put, like, um, masking tape, which is written, COVID-19-84! And virus scam. Uh, and he's just, like, gesticulating wildly at the at the cameras with a police horse behind him. It's a very funny photo. Sums it up. Um, but uh, going back to the, like, sympathetic slash uncritical reporting, there's several photos of this guy, like, fully punching cops in the face. And there's, like, two or three photos of him. Like, there's the first one where he's punching the cop. There's a second one where there are three cops on him and he's punching a cop. And then there's a third one where he's lying on the ground and there are like 17 cops lying on top of him. Mm. And the captions are all like, a police officer and protester in a scuffle. Or like, protester being arrested after interacting with police. And it's like, if that guy was black, or if this was a refugee rights rally, like there's 0% chance that's how that would have been captioned. Anyway, yeah, so there's more, there's more freedom walks freedom walks going on this weekend. Um, they're very badly coordinated. One guy is trying to make a smiley face be the logo of Freedom Day slash Freedom Walks, which, like... Bold choice. Fucking genius uh, branding. <laughs> That's how you get cut through in today's <laughs> yep. oversaturated social media market. Uh, yeah, so brace, your, brace yourselves to hear more about that soon. Uh, the cops seem to be extremely mad about it and are threatening more arrests and, and fines up to $20,000 for people who go to more than one of these things, basically. Uh, but if, yeah, if you would like to hear us waffle at length about the relative merits of the cops and COVID conspiracy theorists, listen to last week's extremely messy episode. Yeah, I look forward to feeling ever more conflicted as I watch cops beat the shit out of people protesting a fake thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny you should mention the Daily Mail because, um, I, the, the next story we're going to do is uh, a little Corona update. Hey man, I got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. And, uh, when I was reading about this, uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, the curfew, which is one of the lockdown measures that we're, yep. we have down here in Melbourne. Uh, and the, almost all of the results for, for the same Daily Mail article, which has Dictator Dan in the headline. Like, Dictator yep. Dan uh, admits that uh, curfew was a, an, in quotation marks, captain's call. And I was like, wow, okay, interesting story. Uh, 
does where, where I know, like searching through the article, where does he describe it as his own captain's call and realized actually that's a quote from the leader of the opposition um, <laughs> that they'd put in the title of that article. Just absolute dog shit gutter journalism from these Murdoch stooges. But anyway. Which it occurs to me, it, it didn't realize before we started, but this is going to be a recurring theme, this episode, dog shit journalism. So, yeah. Mm, no doubt. As it is most episodes of this show. That's true. Mm. Um, so, as you may have heard, there's going to be some more lockdown for Melbourne. Uh, COVID normal, as it is being termed, is probably not going to be, is being projected not to be reached until about October. There's going to be a certain lifting of selected restrictions. They're also making you pick your best friend. Uh, if you live yeah. alone, you're allowed to see one other person. Um, that's the, like, there's a whole lot of extremely silly, small things with that, um, restriction lifting like if you go and visit a friend who lives in a another house like no one none of the other housemates are allowed to be there for example where the fuck are they going to go that's a good question mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know look it's i i'm really glad to see the numbers coming down and i think uh broadly as we've expressed previously we are in favor of uh locking down until you know yeah. things are significantly less wild but when these stage four restrictions came in, we talked at the time about the curfew feeling like a weird measure. So there's a curfew in place in mm. Melbourne at the moment from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, not allowed to leave your home. And the the other measures seemed reasonable at the time. But we did. We were like, this curfew seems like a strange, kind of a strange one. And now, and, uh, you know, Daniel Andrews has been claiming that all of the restrictions that have been put in place are based on scientific and medical evidence. But after being pressed repeatedly by reporters, especially from the Guardian, the government hasn't been able to produce any evidence uh, that the curfew has actually slowed or stopped the spread of the virus. Mm. And now the chief health officer, uh, Brad Sutton, has said that he didn't suggest it. And the police commissioner has said that the cops didn't even know about it until it was made public. So they didn't suggest it either. So mm-hmm. now people are like, wait, where did this fucking curfew idea come from? Uh, and after being pressed pretty hard, Andrews eventually said, quote, it's not a matter for Brett Sutton. It's not health advice. That's about achieving a health outcome. His advice is to do whatever you can to limit movement. Police then say, we need rules we can enforce. These are decisions ultimately made by me. It just makes the job of police much, much easier. So he seems to okay. be... Yeah, <laughs> he seems There's to be basically... kind of a bit of back and forth there, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's a little bit waffly, but he basically seems to be taking responsibility for that decision yep. himself. Yep. Um, but I think that response also tells you a lot about the way that Andrews sort of thinks about the COVID response and his job in general, that phrase, mm. to make the job of the police easier, right? I mean, that is in step with his like the response the government's response to the tower lockdowns earlier Mm. in the crisis um you know which like these decisions they 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 need to be based in expert advice not just in practical terms but also so that you can justify them to the public right if Mm. you can point to these are the reason these are the tactics that have worked elsewhere this is the expert medical advice we're getting and that's why putting these restrictions in place people can swallow that uh, and at a time when people are coming up with a whole bunch of bullshit reasons, a la Freedom Day, to call, you know, Andrew's a dictator and all this stuff, you need to have you need to have good justification for these measures. Otherwise, like you you know, giving an inch to these people, like they're running wild, yeah, wild yeah. with it. The Daily Mail is totally. putting dictator down in their headlines and uh, and they're like with in regards to this curfew measure specifically. I don't think the curfew makes sense uh, i think it disproportionately mm. affects uh you know disadvantaged people shift workers people of color um and all it's doing is stopping people from going shopping or exercising which are the only things they're allowed to leave their home to do other than work anyway so yeah and like uh, i don't know yeah we don't need to get into the relative merits of this but like yeah also like presumably if there was an extra four hours that people could go shopping in, there would be less people at the shops in any given hour or whatever. Like, uh, not that that, I, I don't know. Well, that's it. No, even on a basic logical level like that, it never really made sense to me. But, you know, I don't know how useful it is for us to offer our opinions on this kind of sure, thing. Sure, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, it's definitely become an issue and a sticking point over mm. Andrew's response, which I would say broadly he's handled 
pretty well given the circumstances. We definitely disagree yeah. with his like extremely carceral uh, and punitive approach and the like uh, heavily police focused response. So on, yeah. yeah, and and of course, like the police as a tool can never mm. enforce a measure in a way that isn't massively biased against already mm. marginalized communities. But you know. So, but you know, but overall, I don't feel like he's done a terrible job. But this, you know, this curfew thing, I think, is an expression of some of his worst impulses. Mm. And yeah, really handing kind of an easy win to these dictator Dan clowns, which yeah. uh, just didn't need to happen. Okay, and with that, I think we should move on to our next segment. And as as is pretty standard with positivity corner you know we try we we introduced the segment to have a nice thing in the show because there's always such depressing news but instead we just get these positivity corners that are like oh a tiny little nice thing on top of a huge pile of shit um and this is another <laughs> one of those you know it's a positivity corner you know there's not the whole yeah square. corner just, of the story exactly yeah, yeah. This is one that we've been covering repeatedly, which is about the destruction of Jukan Gorge by Rio Tinto. They they blew up these caves that had 45,000-year-old relics and history and culture in them. And it's been just absolutely disgusting watching Rio try to absolve themselves of any blame. Finally, they have forced three of their executives to... Uh, to resign, to take some responsibility for this. Um, so the the CEO of Rio Tinto is a guy called Jean-Sebastien Jacques, and he's resigning slash being forced to resign. Um, and yeah, the, the other two are also resigning, but it's like the Rio did an internal investigation that found that it was totally fine, no one needed to be fired, and then they realized that everyone was still mad at them. So they were like, uh, I guess we can't actually fire them because we just said that we weren't going to, but... Oh, I guess good, they they're can all resigning! Resign. Yeah, how convenient for all. Yeah, it, it, the out. papers are all being like, it's been mutually agreed upon that they resign or whatever, so yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's this guy Jacques, and then there's the company's head of iron ore, Chris Salisbury, who I mentioned at length when the story first broke, and the head of corporate relations, Simone Niven. Uh, and there, uh, so Jacques is staying in the job till March, uh, basically to get a replacement, which is like... It's another six months. And he's walking away with long-term entitlements, including $35 million worth of stock and having been paid $10.3 million last year and owning $9.7 million worth of shares. So he is not really being punished. He just doesn't have to work for this money anymore. Uh, and the, the other two will be there until December. <laughs> That's a, the ultimate, like... Um, Golden hand Administrative leave. Like... Of the cops. You know, yeah, like it's, a it's cop the same getting thing. suspended right. with pay. Yeah. Suspended with stock options. Yes, suspended with stock options, exactly. <laughs> That's so good. There's an age opinion article in that somewhere. You should pitch it to them. <laughs> uh, come on, Noon. We both know... The age would never um, publish something that radical. <laughs> no, that I would never stoop so low. Um, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, it is a consequence... It's it's the positivity section of the positivity corner of this positivity corner is that <laughs> yeah. there is there has been a consequence when it really looked like there was going to be roughly no zero consequence. <laughs> yeah, you're right for you're right. this like extremely egregious crime. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, these companies are there. You know, as we've expressed previously, they should not be allowed to operate. They are absolutely. You can't, like, a firing or a slap on the wrist or a golden parachute is not going to stop the fact that their business model is extracting wealth, stealing wealth from the land of people whose land was stolen from them. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> on, yeah. On a that's related my, note. That's um, my opinion piece. No, that's great. It's a good opinion piece. And I have a, a related one um, because I wanted to finish up this positivity corner by saying fuck the Australian in particular. Um, and again, this ties into our, our sub theme of terrible journalism. So I'm just going to read this quote from their article about these guys being fired. Trouble is, Australians own just 15% of the company, which is 11.5% owned by the Chinese government, 12% by Europeans, 27% by North Americans, and 28% by English. Based on earnings, the company should be based in Perth, but based on its asset base and share register, that isn't going to happen anytime soon. Like, no, the trouble isn't that there are Chinese people who own part of the company, you fucking... 
terrible <laughs> journalist who wrote this idiotic piece. Sorry, I shouldn't use that word. But just like, oh, Jesus fucking if Christ. If it was no, just Australians oh, in, in, in charge. Australians have never destroyed indigenous heritage before. No, that's only North Americans and Chinese. Also, just like, maybe you don't refer to people by their nationality in quite that. It's fine. It's fine. It's just the Australian. Fuck them. Fuck them. All right, well, that's enough about that story, but we now have another First Nations story, which is also very upsetting. So, Zach, do you want to take us through that? Yeah, just a quick one. Um, We don't have a whole lot of information about this, but um, tragically there's been another Indigenous death in custody. This was in Mianjin, uh, also known as Brisbane. An Indigenous woman has died in police custody at the Brisbane Watch House. Um, And, yeah, there's there's not a lot of information out, out there about this at the moment um news outlets aren't even providing a name at the moment but um debbie kilroy from sisters inside tweeted r.i.p auntie sherry auntie died in the watch house this morning i spent the afternoon with the other women in the watch house to support them during this traumatic time the grief is overwhelming um so uh, yeah i mean this woman was uh on remand after a court hearing she was waiting for a prison transfer um there's going to be an ethical standards investigation, but it's hard to have faith that there's going to be any kind of consequences yeah. for the police, especially when we have the result of the um, police investigation into Tanya Day's death come through in previous weeks. Um, and there were absolutely no consequences there. Mm. Um, it was also Tanya Day's birthday last week. Um, people wore pink in her memory and posted photos of themselves on social media, which I, which was a really... Um, Lovely way to remember her, even though her, you know, the circumstances of her death were fucking tragic. Um, but yeah, I mean, this death makes five indigenous deaths in custody in four months this year, and a total of four hundred and thirty-nine mm, since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody in nineteen ninety-one. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's the. I, I think that there is maybe more. There's more public pressure, uh, more public attention being paid to this issue for sure, but the systems that are causing you know the the systems that are killing indigenous people are operating mm. at the same brisk clip that they always have um so we'll bring you more updates on that story as the as they come okay uh so now i want to do fashy australia fashy australia and this is a story about Pauline Hanson, kind of, indirectly. But it's funny, like, something that I just wanted to... I, I noticed when I was reading about this is that, like, the concept of please explain uh, has become, like, embedded in the Australian psyche and especially, it's like, so media depressing. class. I mean, the, it's the, the name of her ha- fucking... It's her, it's, her, it's her motto. It's her call sign. It's the name of her Facebook Well, group. it's one of them. We- We've got two more coming up in in this segment, but yeah, that's right. And 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 like it's used for a bunch of people, but mostly whenever she's peripherally involved in a story. So there was this article from the Fin Review, Ozpost issued, please explain over One Nation delivery. And so this is because during the Melbourne social housing tower lockdown, Pauline Hanson said some really gross shit about the people who lived there, um, and realized that that was a bad look. So she posted 114 of them stubby holders. It's a curious choice. Not sure why it was that many. Not sure why stubby holders. No, no. In fact, I do know why it was stubby holders. It's because she's a fucking racist and assumed that they're all dr- drunk. Um, <laughs> and the stubby holders had on them the slogan, I've got the guts to say what you're thinking. Um, which seems not like the most relevant application of that phrase, right? Like she was just like, oh, you're all fucking druggy idiots from overseas. I love that she's like, you're sitting there having all these racist thoughts about yourself, but you're too afraid to say them, aren't you? But I can say them for you. You're a piece of shit. But she also like, she also left handwritten notes with them that said, no hard feelings. Which like, you're not the one with the hard feelings. You don't get to decide. If there are hard feelings or not. <laughs> anyway. Just the, imagine, like, having slandered these people. They're going through one of the most dramatic and difficult experiences of their lives. Yep. And you know that they're a captive audience. And so you you send them a piece of merchandise with your own fucking face on it. As if that is... Like, 
Whose fucking idea was that? Yeah. These people, yep. they, they they boggle the mind. Like, the yep. kind of twisted thinking that comes up with that idea is, I find, I'm in myself completely incapable of comprehending, honestly. Um, well, anyway, the city of Melbourne, in quote, intercepted the delivery because remember they weren't letting like care packages or whatever get in for several days mm, for reasons mm. that are not clear oh is in like the reasons are clear it's because they're fascists but um like uh like they didn't have any good reason for it um and so they didn't deliver the city of melbourne like intercepted these stubby holders and didn't give them to the people in the towers and australia post has now threatened to call the cops because apparently it's a crime to do mail fraud now uh, like no, that that was a bad joke, but like yeah, like they, <laughs> they they calling the cops because they the mail was intercepted and like wasn't being delivered, and that's a crime. And now the Labor Party is mad that Australia Post is mad. And Richard Miles, who's a federal minister, said this: "You've got Australia Post saying to people that they can't expect their mail to be delivered on time on Father's Day, but if you're Pauline Hanson, you can contact the CEO of Australia Post to make sure your stubby holders get delivered to the council towers in Victoria. There's a complete double standard out there." Australia Post denies ever having been contacted by Hanson about it, and they said this, Australia Post takes its obligation to deliver mail as addressed seriously. Like, okay, yeah, like, uh, yeah. And Rex Patrick, who's part of the Centre Alliance, who used to be, um, what's his name? Nick Xenophontine. Nick, Nick, the Xenophontine, yeah. Um, he said this, How many times has Australia Post General Counsel written threatening to call in the police to ensure good service? I suspect not often. But, Rex Patrick, it's not fucking about good service, is it? It's about mail fraud, and it's about not giving people their mail. It just so happens that this particular time, the mail is from a racist shitlord. Like, that doesn't mean it's not, like, basically their job to get those stubby holders to those people. Anyway, this is Is it the job of of the CEO to to call up, though, after getting a call from, like, the political act, like... The they deny having question. They deny having been contacted by One Nation at all. So I mean, yeah, that no, might... but that settles it. Well, yeah, I mean, they could well be lying. And I mean, this sure, CEO like... is like somebody who she's the and it's this is a line that gets repeated a lot in the media. But she's the highest paid public servant in Australia. She pulls mm. in a salary of over a million dollars. I, I want to say, and that can't be right. That's ridiculous. I'm gonna. I'll look that up later. Um, she pulls in a fucking enormous salary and she said that all of Australia Post executives were going to take a, they wouldn't, wouldn't take any bonuses over the course of the coronavirus crisis because, oh yeah, you know, it's tough. We can't get the mail out to everybody. Everybody's got to cinch the belt a little bit tighter. She's walking home with like a quarter mil in bonuses this year. They're like delayed from last year or something. Yeah, yeah. Like... I don't know. I mean, anyway, I, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for this person, is what I'm saying. No, no. I mean, I don't, I don't care about the CEO of OzPost. I guess I just feel like this, it, it's kind of reminiscent, if not exactly the same as the cops and the, the conspiracy theorists. It's like, oh, there's this institutionalized power that is, like, interacting with these terrible people. And, like, how do we sort out which one of those we want to be prioritized or whatever? Anyway, like, mm. I, I don't... I think it's funny that Labor is mad that Australia Post is mad that the city of Melbourne stopped them doing their job. Like, I think this is a completely reasonable thing for Australia Post to be irritated about and try and deal with. It's literally their job. Um, I I take your point that, like, maybe there's something else going on that made this issue get prioritized above other mail fraud, but, like... Well, yeah, and, I mean, the... It was stopped going through because everything was stopped going through. And then when they realized it was stubby holders from a racist who had just said a bunch of shit about the Tower residents in the national media, they were like, you know what? I don't think that that's what this situation needs right now, which I think is a fair call. I don't know what happened to them after that. I guess they didn't get delivered. I guess, like, it's fair enough from the city of Melbourne not to deliver it. They're not the fucking post office. But I think it's fair enough for Australia Post to then be like, hey... Don't do mail fraud. <laughs> I, I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Um, I guess uh, we'll agree to disagree on this ridiculous and silly story. I'm um, and a it's a 2.65 so. million, by the way. Yeah, right. Is the, um, that is too much uh, money. CEO of Australia Post's salary. Yep. All right. Yeah, we can, we can agree to disagree. Uh, but I think we all agree that ACAB. AC? 
I do agree. I also kind of regret that I made such a flippant sounding sting for a segment that is inevitably about police the abusing worst their powers. things that we can yeah. find. Yeah. Um, this is a story from last week that we didn't have time to get to, and I'm just going to give a content warning here for um, domestic violence. Um, we'll put time cones in the show notes if you don't want to hear this. Um, so this story starts in 2014 when a Queensland senior constable named Neil Punchard accessed confidential computer records to, to get the address of a woman who had been the victim of domestic abuse. He passed her address on to her former partner who had abused her. This guy was an old friend of Punchard's. Um, that partner would later be convicted of domestic violence offences. He'd done stuff like threaten to kill her, strap bombs to their children. Jeez. Very, very awful stuff. Yep. Throughout this process of uh, illegally getting this woman's information and passing it on to her abuser, Puncher was exchanging texts with the guy. And I don't think I'm going to read some of the worst ones because I don't want to repeat some of this stuff. Yeah, but he yeah. was saying stuff like, you know, let her know where she lives and leave it at that. Make her shit herself. I know you're screaming inside to let loose on her. You know, this guy is... There's no question that he is that he understands that this other guy what is filled doing. with rage yep. yeah, towards his former partner and wants to scare her. That's what he's helping him doing. He also said to his friend, the police will contact you if they want to speak to you. Then you give them my name. That is your get-out-of-jail-free card. I mean, this is some fucking flagrant, flagrant misuse of police power. That's disgusting, yeah. So for a long time, Queensland police didn't do anything about this. The woman said that she struggled to get the cops to listen to her and take her seriously, which I'm sure has never happened to a victim of domestic violence ever. But under continued pressure, Punchett eventually was taken to court and pleaded guilty to nine counts of computer hacking in 2019. Yep. Uh, He was convicted and given a suspended prison sentence of two months. Uh, suspended on full pay prior to that, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, that is the first conviction. Sorry, just by the way, suspended prison sentence means he doesn't have to go to jail. I just want to make that extremely clear to our listeners. That's not an actual prison sentence in much the same way that all cop punishments are not actual punishments. Yeah, please right. continue. Uh and that's the first conviction for misuse of the police database ever recorded in Queensland. Whoa. But this is something that has been described as a systemic problem. There are cases of cops looking up the addresses of like female celebrities, for example, as well as like ex-partners. This is an endemic problem throughout the police. They can't yeah. be trusted with this information. But this is the something... first time that anybody has ever been convicted for it. Yeah, uh, something extremely happened. Uh, similar happened to someone I know in Sydney and... Um... As far as I know, it never even got as far as this did. Yeah, it's it's really disturbing. No, well, because of course, like you're going to the cops saying another cop has done a bad thing. They close yeah. ranks, yeah. as they and do every as time. As Punchard said, like his name's the get out of jail free card, and like that clearly works pretty effectively. Like oh. when you've got a cop on side, like that, that absolutely makes such a big difference to massively not stacked being held against accountable. you. Yeah, right. So Punchard appealed this ruling, and this week. His conviction was overturned. His, that weak-ass fucking conviction was overturned. Yep. His prison sentence was removed. Instead, he's doing 140 hours of community service. Uh, the lack of conviction recorded also ne- means that the police n- now can't sack him. Not that they would have, but yep. The judge took into account Puncher's employment prospects if he, if he was sacked as a cop. Uh, and uh, also took into account that he had several character witnesses, including senior cops. So, I mean... <laughs> Dude, I don't think you. I don't think that that's the endorsement that you think it is. Yeah, yeah. It's other cops being like, "Oh no, this guy who like flagrantly broke the cop rules is a good guy." Trust me, a cop. Yep. I've got a quote here from the woman. Uh, the woman in question. She says that shows how seriously the police take the risk to me. The fact that I still spend my life looking over my shoulder, living in fear. How can any victim of domestic violence trust a police officer if they know this police officer can do what he did and not get sacked? I'm disgusted, shocked that he has had his conviction not recorded, but it doesn't change the facts of the case and that he pleaded guilty. They can't dispute that he unlawfully accessed the database and that he gave the information to a man from whom I was hiding. The, the, the fact police still employ him shows they don't care. Um, yep. Which, yeah, says it better than we ever could. There's one other angle on this story that I wanted to mention, which is that uh, 
the story, which is uh, about Senior Constable Lynn Jones, another Queensland police officer, who gave su- evidence in support of this woman, mm. and she was immediately harassed by other cops. Senior cops put together a file on her, like su- on her misconduct, including stuff like not wearing a hat after being told to wear a hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. You know, th- like this is what happens if you like within the police force and try to speak out immediately. Turn That's on right. You. I mean, it, it's like the whole. This is just a perfect illustration of the like. There's no good cops thing because like if there's a good cop, they immediately have to stop being a, a cop. Like they get yeah. hounded out. And, and I, I don't know if Lynn Jones is still working there, but like if I were her, I would be fucking out of there right away. You know, like. No, and, but you, you like the rest of the the organization turns their backs on you. You feel the full weight of like the entire well, bureaucratic system coming down. Like as you say, they throw the book at you. That's not just turning your back. Yeah, yeah no, well, yeah. You're, you're you're regarded as a snake, and yeah. like you, how can you change the system from within if everybody thinks that you are trying to undermine them? They they yeah. won't work with you. They see yeah. you as a traitor. I mean, this is a, a person who became a cop in the first place because she had experienced domestic violence, mm. and so that's why she spoke out on this issue. Yeah, extremely fucked. Um, and there was one other thing that uh, is, is kind of tangent, only tangentially related that I uh, wanted to mention here, um, which was, again, something I wanted to speak about last week. We didn't get time, which is the uh, Let Us Speak campaign, which mm. is happening at the moment. So that, that's a campaign against uh, state laws in Victoria that are going to make it illegal for survivors of sexual assault to use their real names when speaking about their own stories. Mm. Um, There's been other similar laws in other states and campaigns around that as well. Um, And, I mean, I I guess I just wanted to bring it up because I see this as connected to this story of this woman struggling to get any kind of form of justice or accountability for this cop. Yeah. Because we see that every stage the justice system is stacked against uh, people, you know, mostly women, who are the victims of gendered violence. The cops themselves, uh, you know, they won't take you seriously and they actively inflict, like, dangerous situations upon you the courts are stacked against you and in this case you know you see the the legislators who was you know trying to do something this you know i it seems like this is an an accident basically um as part of this this legislation that it's that it's gagging survivors but you if this never would have happened if you had consulted with the community yeah you know these people in, in the fucking first place Anyway, so I'm, I'm not going to talk much more about this because I want to direct people instead to the Loud, Angry, and Not Sorry podcast, um, which is uh, hosted by a friend of the show, Leah, and they um, did an interview with the co-director of Let Us Speak. So you should go um, look them up on Spotify and have a listen to that episode and that interview um, because, oh, yeah, yeah I, I, I wouldn't be able to say it as well as they have, so go and check that out. All right, and now we have a terrible take. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey! <laughs> yeah, again, this is uh, this is the uh, another one in our theme of um, just absolutely awful reporting this week. And I'm awarding this blurst take to Alice Workman, um, formerly of BuzzFeed News, now of the Australian, who has just like dived headfirst into the absolute blurst excuse for journalism that I've seen. For a long time. And this is kind of sad to me because we shouted out Alice Workman a bunch on this show in the first couple of months when she was back at BuzzFeed doing some real good progressive reporting. And now she's just like full 180, just disgusting. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Okay. I, I so, wonder what happened there. She, she got high by the Australian, dude. That's it. Um, yeah, right. And specifically their gossip column, which is called Struth. Uh, and is like not meant to be full stories. It's just meant to be like little tidbits. The Age has a similar one called CBD, which I quite enjoy. But anyway, I'm just going to read you the first three sentences of this article by Alice Workman. We regret to inform you that Melbourne has gone full mean girls. Catherine Andrews is staunchly standing by her man. Dot dot dot. On social media. This paper's gun reporter, Rachel Baxendale, accidentally discovered she's been blocked by Andrews, wife of dictator Dan, on Twitter. She then goes on to explain what blocking is, uh, because most of the Australian's <laughs> readers are over 90. Um, and this article is just like, it's so fucking gross. This it's shit is so, so embarrassing, man. It's so demeaning. It's so pathetic. Like, I just, like, Alice, I can only assume that you're very ashamed of yourself for this because I've seen you do good journalism before. 
Um, and if you're not, then I hope that you find some shame about this deeply terrible and embarrassing article. Just, like, the desperation of clutching, needing to find something negative to say about Andrews and, you know... And about like, his wife. Like... About his fucking wife. And then, like, the the yarn is that the person who sits opposite you at work was like, hey, I'm blocked by Daniel Andrews' wife. That's weird. Yeah. Like, fucking oh, typing it up. 600-word article right there. Yeah. <sighs> Boo. Boo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't yell boo into the microphones enough. I think that's. Uh, I think that that should be a, a recurring feature of the show. All right. Well, we'll bring it. We'll bring it back. Now that was a pretty shitty post. It is. But now we have a shitter one because it's time for <laughs> shit post of the week. You, you had and a number then, of suggestions this week. Yeah. Look, uh, I'd love to select original content from the group for shit post of the week and there's been some extremely good posting this week so yeah we, yeah we can't give it to everybody you understand you know that's there's a system in place there are rules and regulations bylaws that we have to abide by you know our hands but are tied. i do our hands are tied extremely firmly but i did want to shout out a number of runners up because there's been just some excellent shit posting going on in Ospol shit posting this week i wanted to shout out isabel's beg button content i amazing. wanted to shout out amazing jess d's hand drawn morrison please reopen no support only reopen yep. meme hand drawn meme love that shit just love it Add yep it- Adam Cumberbullman's screenshot of uh, Morrison saying protests must stop and attendees must be locked up. And then in the first comment being like, haha, surprise, this article is from three months ago. About BLM. Uh, yeah, that was good. That fucking got me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's been some great content. None of them took out the top spot this week. No, no that's right. And and this one is a, a layup assist for Joe Nilsson, uh, a friend of the show and co-host of the Chronically Fully Sick podcast, which I strongly recommend. Um, they play Richard Cheese, and he is always the way to my heart, which is very embarrassing, but is definitely true. Um, when I listened to the first episode and they played that, I was like, this is going to be so up Noon's alley. Yep. Noon used to play Richard Cheese all the time in high school. If you don't know this guy, he's he does like lounge covers of pop songs, probably and yeah, yeah. Uh, punk songs, all sorts of songs. Yeah, he does, yeah, he does yeah. lots of lounge covers. Um, it's extremely Noon. If you want yeah. to lounge know against what the Noon machine. vibe Richard is, Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine is his band. There name. you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love uh, inappropriately genreed covers of things. Uh, yeah. Anyway. This post was something that uh, Joe Nilsson screenshotted. It was a private post, so we're not going to actually like put the image up um, on on the, the episode. But um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a screenshot of a status on Facebook, and this person says, "Just wondering why my family was so supportive of me having a Peter Slipper themed birthday party when I was eleven years old." <laughs> Were you not concerned, mum? And they tagged their mum. And the first reply is from their mum who said, You had pics on the fridge of him and you wanted a Peter Slipper cake, so I gave it to you. Props have pics somewhere. You thought he looked like a codfish and it was interesting. And there's a photo of him on a cake. Um, which is, is so good. It's extremely niche Ozpol content. Uh, Peter Slipper, for those who don't remember, is a disgraced former politician who was charged with defrauding the government, later cleared sexual harassment lawsuits, later dropped, and so on. He's also a bishop, an Anglican bishop of, like... T- I did not know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think <laughs> that might checks be the- out, though. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, anyway, I-, I just fucking love that this 11-year-old A knew who Peter <laughs> Slipper was and B wanted him on a cake. <laughs> and the mum be like, hey, you liked him. I put him Whatever on a cake. Want, What's it's the- your whatever. birthday, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Some fabulous That's shit posting. Very, very, very good IRL shit post. Just even yeah. putting Peter Slipper's face on a cake, which has As never happened before <laughs> in history yeah. and shall yeah. never happen again. That's an extremely unique birthday cake. That's a claim to fame. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love, I, I love why, just wondering why my family was so supportive. Like, <laughs> yeah. you have, that is an extremely high level of, of family support. Like, I want to put this obscure, extremely criminal politician on my birthday cake. Mum being well, like, well, hey. I think he's been cleared of all crimes. Um, but he was extremely dodgy, but also, I don't know how old they are now. Maybe when they were 11, he was just like a backbencher, which is kind of even <laughs> Even funnier. better. Even yeah. better. <laughs> Amazing. Right. 
Thank you, okay. Joe, for sharing that into the group. Definitely go and check out Chronically Fully Sick Podcast for chronically ill jokes and discussions. For real. Okay. It's time for our main course this week. This week we're having a Barilaro Koala. Get it? It sounds like Caramello. It sounds like Caramello Koala. I'll do a Photoshop. It'll be great. Uh, this story started life as uh, our you fucked up story for the week but um because we've uh, as usual blown massively over our time limit it's going to be our mains um but any excuse to play that you fucked up sting which personally is my favorite one you fucked up all right this week as i'm sure many people are aware has been an extremely tough week for the nationals mm. but especially one national michael mccormack who He's the federal leader of the National Party. They have uh, a, a leader? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. He's, uh, as you can imagine, widely loved household yep. name. But look, it's a tough gig. You know, Big Barnaby left big boots to fill. <laughs> Barnaby was a, a political fuck-up. <laughs> <laughs> no one's losing it. Bar- I just Barnaby got the bit was- of the notes. Uh, <laughs> oh, from the bit about from the Bronx to Blue. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, Barnaby Barnaby bangs boots from the Bronx to Bolivia. If you get that reference, uh, right into the show, and I'll, I'll send you something uh, in the mail. Um, Barnaby, it's a it's a big it's a tough gig feeling Barnaby's big boots. Barnaby was a political fuck up of colossal proportions. I mean, he it's still true. is. He it's is a true. household name fuck up expert. His okay? son's name is now also like widely known in regards to fuck ups, which is <laughs> impressive because he's like less than two. But look, McCormack has been doing his best. You know, there was that time that he said Pacific nations will survive climate change because they quote pick our fruit. That's right. It's good. There was good nationals time- leadership. Yeah, exactly. There was a time when he flew to the flew to the Melbourne Cup with his wife and claimed it as a public expense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this week, you know, he stepped up again. He's putting in the hard yards. He went yep. on Q and A to say that quote: "We had that outbreak in Victoria because of a protest rally." I mean, trying to blame coronavirus on the Black Lives Matter rally again, months after it's been debunked it's- time and again. I mean, even yeah. the fucking Murdoch papers have abandoned that line of argument. You know. Yep. He's doing his, he's 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 resuscitating this this dead argument on the national broadcaster in prime fucking time. I mean, he's really trying. He's trying he's to make trying his to get mark. to that Barnaby uh, Barnaby level. He's, he's trying to fuck up, but you know the guy just can't catch a break. This week he was only the runner up mm. for you fucked up. Mm. Always the bridesmaid. Yeah, that's right, McCormick. Never the bride. The bride this week and. Our winner of You Fucked Up is John Barillaro, the Deputy Premier of New South Wales and leader of the New South Wales Nationals, who has a history of undermining Michael McCormack via text message and in mm. the media, and mm-hmm. now he sweeps in at the last second to win You Fucked Up. I mean, will it just the... just non-stop. No, absolutely non-stop. Attacks on his own leader. But the thing is, you know, Barillaro deserves the title. He's a it's man true. who truly understands Barnaby's legacy. He understands what he contributed to the party and the country. Exactly. Which was fuck Nail ups. on the head. Fuck ups. Right, that's right. He knows that if you want to get your face on the front page, you need to fuck up big. You need to, you know, it's blue sky thinking. You need to, for example, run for pre-selection against one of your colleagues. <laughs> Call that colleague a cunt in the Daily Telegraph, making your colleague withdraw and then withdrawing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's called a pro-gamer move. <laughs> If you want to hear more about that, you should check out our Eaton Monaro Bite Selections episode, which I'm still extremely <laughs> happy with that pun. Yeah. Uh, even if even if Noon won't admit that it's genius. Um, I mean, you know, this guy's talent for wrecking shit is, is what makes him Barnaby's logical mm. successor. Mm. You know, and during that uh, spat with Andrew Constance in, in, uh, in the Eaton Monaro, uh, in the lead up to the Eaton Monaro by-election, by he texted McCormack saying, you'll never be our true leader. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that he himself is, is the only the, one he's that the heir apparent. To fill those boots. Yeah. That's right. And this week he put on a fucking masterclass in fucking up. <laughs> I'm enjoying okay. your slightly extra performance here. It's, it's great. <laughs> I've been excited to talk about this. No, no, you're week. doing you're hitting, hitting threes. Swish, swish, Barilla- swish. <laughs> Barilaro is 
<laughs> prime prime material. He's, 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 yeah, he's an absolute font of comedy. So on Thursday, he threatened to withdraw the Nationals' support for government legislation and move all of the New South Wales Nationals' MPs to the crossbench. But, he said, we're going to keep our ministerial portfolios, which is an amazing attempted power move. It is. Like, That's exactly what it is. It's it's an attempted power move. And it's but, so, it was so bad as well. It just, like... It's such an easy, like, he set himself up to lose that one oh, impressively. From, like, from the fucking get-go, because he we made it extremely clear that, no, that this isn't a real thing. Give up I'm not going to give up his bonus. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to give my bonus or my power. Are you kidding me? I'm immediately going to fold at the first line of pressure. Um, and, like, you know, this was a pretty serious threat coming yeah, from the deputy sure, leader sure. of the party, I mean, even just on a on a, on a on a practical level, like the Nats have thirteen seats in the lower house. Mm, if mm. they were moved to to move to the crossbench, Labor would have technically one more seat than the Libs. That have the plurality, yeah. Yeah, I don't know and- if if the Nationals were actually threatening to stop supporting supply and confidence. I think they were only uh, threatening just- to stop legislation. Um, that's right. But nonetheless, right. it still would be huge. It would basically mean that they were in a minority government now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, seven of the 24 ministers in, mm. in, in cabinet are national. So, you know, threatening to remove like a solid third of, of the ministry is, that's like a serious that's, political threat. That's quarter. It's fine. It's third. No, it's between, yeah. it's between a third and a quarter. It's All less right. than a quarter, do, it's more I than a third. I can do basic math sometimes. <laughs> look, Sorry. you know, it's not Ospol Maths Pod. Quick maths. <laughs> Um, you know, but I mean, look, this is not a threat that theoretically a politician would make particularly lightly. Barillaro did over koala legislation, Hmm. uh, specifically a new state environmental planning policy that expands protections for koala habitat. So John Barillaro just staked basically his political career on helping koalas koalas. go extinct. Yes. Which is very funny given that, like, his foil in this whole thing was Gladys Berejiklian, who, like, a lot of people were trying to push that whole koala killer as a nickname for her because she killed so many koalas. But, like, he's really trying to, like, elbow her out of the way for, like, lead koala extinction supporter. I don't want to just ambiently, through my other policy decisions, like, destroy koala habitat and cause bushfires. I want to actively <laughs> make legislation Prevent that makes them. it easier to kill koalas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, there, you know, so there was a report to the New South Wales Upper House. Um, and there was an inquiry uh, earlier this year, and it found that the koalas could go extinct in the wild by 2050. You know, this is after the bushfires when thousands of, uh, and thousands of koalas across the country were killed. Uh, you know, this would this new uh, state environmental planning policy would be a small step to towards preserving some koala habitat. The main thing was that they were expanding the list of trees that accounted as, like, core koala right. habitat, meaning that if you want to cut down one of those kinds of trees, you have to get special permission to do so. Barilaro claimed this would hurt farmers and make their lives more dis- difficult, so far so nationals. He said that it would be, quote, an, the nail in the coffin of rural Australia. But uh, surprising no one, he's full of shit. He claimed that farmers that wouldn't be sense. able to build a driveway or a shed without doing a koala survey and that noxious weeds are listed as core koala habitat. The planning minister has just, like, they, he put an, uh, an opinion piece in the age, actually, in the City Morning Herald that was just like, yeah, those are just lies. He's just lying about that. That's not true at all. Sounds about so right. What, uh, uh, yep, so far, so Nationals. So what is the Nationals' real issue with this legislation? Mm, good question. Good question. It's getting in the way of, of real estate development. Last week, the government told a big developer called Lendlease that they had to downsize a housing development because it clashed with the koala conservation plan. Northern New South Wales is now being opened up to lots of new housing developments. Uh, and partially as a result of that, it is listed internationally as a deforestation hot hotspot on par with parts of Brazil, you know, where they're like Destroying literally the burning Amazon. down the Amazon. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Wow. And... So this is classic Nat shit. 
you run the line that you're representing farmers and you're standing up for the little guy when in fact all you're doing is representing the interests of these enormous destructive industries who turn over huge profits, often to the detriment of the people in the regions that the Nats are supposed to be representing in the first place. And of course, yeah. not a single fucking mention of the uh, rights or wishes of the traditional owners of any of no, these of pieces course. of land yeah, either. Yeah. Of course. Um, just on that point about the um, like claiming to represent farmers issue, I heard someone on the ABC, I can't remember who it was, some journalist, was um, basically saying that the proposals for the, the, this new legislation came out of like consultation with nationals communities nationals voting communities and like yeah. the farmers were the ones who were like yeah we want to protect these koalas more because they're going to go extinct um it, just just fucking genius move here barrel Aru. just oh he's on he's on some absolutely 7d chess type shit yep but so yeah he he said that the government had betrayed the nationals on this issue mm-hmm. so clearly felt it was appropriate to threaten to blow up the new south wales coalition over <laughs> yeah <it. laughs> um and then gladys berejiklian was just immediately like well, no, you can't leave the government and keep your ministerial portfolios. I can't believe that I have to explain this to you. Yeah. <laughs> also, you have until 9 a.m. to sort this out, otherwise I'm swearing in a new ministry. Now, that's a power um, move. That's, oh. the, that's, the, that's the non-attempted, actually done power move. Yeah. It's like, it, it almost feels like letting off steam. It's like, I mean, I mean, you know, Barry Lyra has been constantly undermining Barry Jeeklian. I yeah. mean, he's, he's a political wrecker, as we've, um, as I have extensively riffed on. But it's like she's been waiting for an opportunity to smack this guy down in public. Makes and sense. She, she was just like, refused to budge an inch. Yeah. So Thursday, Barry Lyra makes the threat. Friday morning, Barry Lyra goes to, Barris, goes to Gladys Barry Jeeklian's office planning to ask for her to move the discussions about the koala legislation forward. And Gladys point blank just refused and was like, no, nah, it's on the agenda for October. That's when we'll discuss it. In other words, Barilara walked out with absolutely nothing and then went to the media and said that this was a, quote, great day, great result. <laughs> just boss shit. Just boss shit. What can you say? You know? you know, I think this is actually a sign, Zach, that we are truly some of Australia's foremost political nobodies because it we have repeatedly suggested to the nationals that they break their coalition agreement with the libs because they're going to get so much more like out of it if they're not part of a coalition and if they're yep. crossbenchers who can negotiate so maybe big b has been listening to the show uh johnny b and he's been uh, taking some tips listen Shut john up. Thank you for thank you for taking our advice. If you would like us to help you in a little more specific way, so you don't end up being a total jackass on the national stage, just drop us an email. It'll be fine. Our emails are always open. Ospolsnackpot at gmail dot com. Um, I mean, so like, surely he can't remain as leader of the nationals now, right? After I mean, embarrassing like... himself so much, what you, he needs a promotion. <laughs> Very good point. I mean, he says that he offered his resignation to the Nationals um, on Thursday evening, but they refused. And he said, quote, I've never seen a party room so united, unanimously backing me. I mean, if that's true, that's fucking amazing. That's just incredible. That he would say that even. This is the most united they've ever been? That's a bad sign. Yeah. Michael McCormack, we know you're listening. Take notes. You know, once again, we see state leaders... Mm-hmm. Leading the country, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. The federal leaders, uh, they're, they're fucking it up left, right, and center. This, this is how you fuck up your way to the top of the national. <laughs> a total lack of any motivation beyond supporting big business, a total lack of political skill, a total disregard for how many of your colleagues get fucked over by your destructive bullshit. Barilaro is a born nationals leader. Mm-hmm. You heard it from his own mouth, even though it was probably a complete lie. I've never heard seen a party room so united unanimously backing me. This is what happens if you fuck up on a planetary scale, Michael. This is what you need to do. And before we get out of here, I also want to shout out another shit post of the week runner up or even a co winner. Let's let's yeah, give let's, yeah, give, let's we'll give it a co winner. Let's give it a, let's make it a joint winner. This is uh, one from Josh Gatto who did this uh, amazing Photoshop of a box of Barilla. Is it Barilla or Barillo? Barilla pasta, except it's Barillaro pasta. <laughs> and it says, oops, all backflips. And then down at the bottom where it's supposed to have a picture of pasta, he's Photoshopped in extremely subtly 
just a little koala poking its head its little head and nose over the bottom of the frame, which um I missed the first time and noon had to point out to me. And that you know, that's what I love about a meme that just like keeps on giving, you know? Uh-huh. If you look deeper, there's so much there. So congrats congrats, Josh. And uh congrats John Barilaro for yeah. yeah, your um incredible uh show of leadership material. Hear him. Okay, well, I think that's going to bring us pretty much to the end of the show. We do have our exciting new segment at the very end of the episode. So, listeners, stay tuned for that for a, a, a bit of a pup date. Um, but before then, I want to read out uh, some reviews that we got and just want to remind you to that, that reviews are really helpful for us. They... Uh, if you leave a review and a rating, more people see the show. And, of course, it's really nice for us to get that kind of support. Plus, if you really want to help out the show financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash ozpolsnackpod. If you give us $1 a month, you get a bonus uh, episode each month. We've done some cool stuff. We did one about the palace letters. Our most recent one was a sort of deep dive biography into two Australian feminists um, from, from the last century. Um, yeah, so, so hop on Patreon. Plus, you get access to Discord. You get some cool merch. Go check it out. Um, and we have two reviews, or one and a half reviews. One's a new one, and one is an old one that seems to have been updated or, or re-edited uh, or something. So anyway, the new one is from My Heart is a Fish, who is uh, one of our shadowy financiers. Um, and this one is titled, Nordaz Shonks. Five stars. <laughs> Analysis is good, if a little esoteric, but not as funny as the Friendly Geordies podcast. Three stars. I appreciate that you actually <laughs> gave us five stars. So thanks. Thanks. Uh, uh, that really got fish. me. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Nordaj. Uh, and there was an, uh, we also got, yeah, a, re- a refreshed uh, review from Anne, who gave us five stars, saying great work, um, who described our podcast as uh, being made to eat greens, but in a good way. Uh, and now she likes her greens. And that we are her Sunday treat, and uh, that is extremely ex- sweet, extremely and we appreciate adorable. it very much. Yes. Thank you very much, Anne. Thank you, Anne. All right, um, I finally got around to making the sting, and oh, yeah. um, it's extremely embarrassing. I feel very embarrassed of it. Um, so please, whatever you do, definitely don't make fun of me at all for this. Now it's time for a birthday. Don't worry, I won't, Zach. Uh, do you, do you want to give us a, a little pup date on your boy? <laughs> yeah, I just, in our notes for this section, the only thing that we have written is pants, comma, deadbolt, um, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, pants. We have 12 pages of notes f- for this episode uh, and two words for this last segment. So, <laughs> yeah, section. there you go. Um, Pants is a reference to the fact that since lockdown has happened, I so rarely put on anything other than my like track pants, my PJs that whenever I put on a pair of jeans or shorts, Dante knows it's time to go for a walk. Walkies. So I like take my pants off and he's like, Hey, what's going on here? And then I put some jeans on and he's like, Oh shit. It's water. And I'm like, my, my my leg isn't out of the first hole yet. I'm like, bro, like, calm and he's down. Like, let's go, let's go. I'm gonna put my go, shoes. Go. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, what's going on? What's the holder? <laughs> anyway, I thought it was pretty, it's just very funny that that's become that's a Pavlovian response. Yeah, just yeah. Putting pa- putting pants on, and then he's like, oh, <laughs> uh, coronavirus. <laughs> it's really changed the world. It really has changed my dog's brain physically. All right, with the, with the deadbolt, this, so, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been doing this pup date, uh, I've been giving nice stories about Bagel being a good boy, uh, and this is a story about him being a giant fucking nuisance menace. <laughs> um, I live in a little shed at the back of the backyard of my house, um, which, you know, I like living in tiny moldy shacks. It's a, it's a, a lifestyle choice. Um, and Bagel lives lying. in here with me. And often at, at about quarter to five in the morning... This has just happened in the last month. This has happened like five times. Bagel has heard, I don't know if it's a cat or a rat or a possum or something, but he has like leapt out from my bed. Like normally he's at, at five in the morning, he's curled up on my feet, which is adorable. Leaps out from under the blanket and just like smashes through the door, which is not like, <laughs> it's not meant to be open. Um, but he, he, 
has done it in such a way because obviously he's short. He goes like right at the bottom of the door, and somehow it's managed to like it opens the door slightly enough for him to bash out, and then it it slams shut again. And the other day, I I was like, fucking damn it! I like leapt out of bed. I was like, oh no, I don't have any pants on. It's fine. It's like four thirty. It's gonna be fine. Open the door, like bright sunlight everywhere. I was like, shit holding my, my junk, flailing around everywhere in the backyard, went and, like, grabbed Bagel by the collar. He, he'd, like, bashed out, run down the side of the house, trying to, like, chase a cat or something. And there I was, half-naked um, in the morning sunlight, I, you know, grabbed him, put him back in my room, and I was like, God damn it, I need to do something about this. I can't keep, <laughs> can't keep doing that. So I finally got around to installing a deadbolt at about shin level on my door. Uh, and so hopefully now Bagel will not be able to bust out of my room at five in the morning. Um, and it's instead amazing just the, like the way bash his head to, into it. That's amazing the way you just have to like adjust your life around like jury rig the a entire dog, like, house. Yeah. Like someone coming in being like, why is there a deadbolt at shin height on your door? You're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it it's a dog perfect thing. sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There's cool. my pup thanks, thanks for that pup date noon. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, catch us next week. And until then, keep on snacking in the free world. Five cops crunch. crunch. <laughs>